Welcome to 24 Hour Expert, where we challenge each other to see what we can learn on random topics in just a day. I'm Allie. And I'm Amy. Let's see what we've learned. Aim. Welcome to the 50th hour special. It's my first official one. I'm a little bit nervous about it, to be completely honest with you. And I'm a little bit confused on how we got to the 50th hour, but I'm rolling with it. So that is what I wanted to start with tonight, today, whenever you're listening. That joke is still not going to get old. I'm sorry, you guys. It's not. The original concept for when Dan and I did the 25th hour special, the joke was if we had just had one more hour to research these topics we would have got these things right, or we would have had this additional information. Because sometimes it's a correction, sometimes it's a question came up during the episode, and now we've looked up that question. So I know you and I have debated the title of this episode. Dan has always called it the 50th hour. I guess he's just, we have 25 more episodes, 25, 25 is 50, right? So our next one would be the 75th 75th hour. hour, right, if we follow this pattern. But you've also brought up the point, like, why is it not just the second 25th hour, because the joke is, if we had it hour 25 in a day to do the research. So I guess that's, I, I don't know. I don't know. Is this 25th hour special number two, or is it the 50th hour? I mean, yes to both. I can, I can see the logic. I'm just worried about what this looks like when we get like a zillion down the road, and then it's like the 225th hour. <laughs> but I guess that's fine. Well, I guess it's how many additional hours of research we've done. I can guarantee you I will not have done 225 hours of research. Well, I mean, just one for each additional episode. I see. Okay. I'm rolling with it. I like the 50th hour. It sounds very official. Just for the sake so that the title is different in all of our streaming platforms, we're going to call it the 50th hour. So we're going to do episodes after the 25th hour through, oh gosh, what was our last episode? Music licensing. Music licensing. So this will be Lego through music licensing if you follow along our episodes in order. That's a pretty wide breadth because now we're also covering some Dan episodes, which I will say I thoroughly enjoyed re-listening to. I don't know that I can do Dan justice in some of these instances, but it was very fun to re-listen to them. It was. It was really fun to re-listen to them. So to prepare for this episode, Amy and I went through, we divided up the 25 episodes, or maybe it's technically 24 because if this counts as number 50. Either way, Amy and I divided up the episodes, and we went back. And we also, when you guys send us comments, we have a spreadsheet, questions that come in. So between that and re-listening to the episodes, we just make notes or corrections on things we might have got wrong or additional information that came up during the episode. So it's a longer one. So let's jump in. Lego. That's our first one. Amy, that one was yours. Do you have anything to add to Lego? I don't have anything factual to add to Lego. I do just have an overwhelming desire to build more Legos. Um, I will say one of the best gifts you've ever given me is the office Lego set. And although my husband stole a little bit of joy by wanting to do it with me, which was a very nice gesture on his part, but less fun in execution because I was like, I'm building this, but that's fine. Um, That was about it. I just really wanted to play with Legos again. So no new information, but highly encouraged to find your inner child and get back to playing with Legos. I will say I love Lego sets and I always want to get some of the big fancy ones. And if I had somewhere in my house to like display them, I would probably buy more. 
because I just think they're so cool. I hope as my daughter gets older, have more kids, as they get older, that they're into it so we can just play with Legos. Yes. I have friends who are really big into Legos, like actually have invested, especially in some of the Star Wars kits. Like they've done Yoda, they've done R2-D2, they've done BB-8. And I am always just amazed at like the patience and the detail and the execution, but they're so cool. They're also really big puzzlers though. So there's like a patience level for some of those big ones. Oh, for sure. Not to stay on Lego too long since we don't have any actually new information on it, right. but have you seen those new Lego sets that look like bouquets of flowers? Yes, I think those are so cool. And I would 100% leave that out all the time. 100%. I want one, yeah, to put like on display, just have it like on your dining room table always. It's so cool. Always. Agreed. So no, no new information. Yeah, no new information for Lego, Lego, no follow-up, no corrections. All right, moving on to AOL. So the only thing I have for AOL is... Dan and I wondered in the episode, did AOL ever have an infomercial? So I did some YouTubing, because I figured that's probably the best source for old videos like that. And I couldn't find anything that was true infomercial style, but watching old AOL commercials that would have like run on TV was very entertaining. (laughs) To answer that question, no official infomercial that I could find, but lots of just regular TV commercials. Um, what a delightful way to spend like an afternoon to just watch all of those old infomercials and all of those really nostalgic. I think I just sent you a TikTok on that, didn't I? That was like the old infomercials you used to see or old commercials you used to see when you were a kid. And you're like, did anyone actually own those things? Or did we just watch those commercials so much that you believed those were things we needed? Oh, 100%. I'm sure it's both. It's funny because obviously I did the infomercial episode, which was covered in in the 25th hour special. And so I watched a bunch of old infomercials for that. And then I've also, when I did cereal mascots, watched a bunch of old cereal commercials. So apparently I just pick all the episodes where I watch old TV commercials. So what I've learned doing the 50th hour is that you have two modes of operation, maybe like 2.5. History slash murder (laughs) slash like gruesome. And then, like, inquisitive nostalgia things, but also tends to be, like, kind of (laughs) shady. That's what I learned. Because every one of these episodes was narrated by you. Not not every one of them, but a lot of them were. And it was, like, Bloody Mary, cryptozoology, all of, like, the chupacabra killed all of these livestock. And I was like, what am I going to get an episode where things aren't, like, a little bit dark and eerie? Then the Halloween episode came on, and there was literal sound effects. (laughs) So... I think you did that on purpose. I think you assigned me them on purpose. I did learn a lot, but really not my style. Oh, I did assign you those on purpose because I wanted to listen to Dan talk more than listen to myself talk more. So you had to listen to me. That's it. It'd be like listening to yourself on a voicemail repeatedly. So I get it. Exactly. All right. Trucking along. Bloody Mary. Oh, yes. What do you have for us for that one? All right. So for Bloody Mary, um, first of all, you said in this space, right? And I think I agree with you unfairly that she got the name Bloody Mary because she really killed the least amount of people. Thank you. That was very educational. Thank you. However, the statement you made after that insinuated that little sisters get all the credit for their bigger (laughs) sister's work. And I have a bone to pick with you about that. I'm just kidding. It did make me laugh, though, because, right, like, everybody else is killing thousands of people or at least several hundred more than she did. And here she is with a terrible name. That really stuck out to me. In other news, I did look up one of the questions that you and Dan 
we're exploring is what is the main difference between Catholic and Protestants? Because that was a big thread throughout that Bloody Mary story. Yes. And I did post a few things on Instagram about that, but I'd love to hear what you found. So I actually found on Diffin.com, D-I-F-F-E-N.com. I don't know if this is a reliable source or not, but it broke it down really nice. I'm just going to share very quickly, like there's a whole table where it goes through like scriptures, literal meaning, concept of deity, clergy, practices, resurrection of Jesus, uh, authority of the Pope, um, about like a summary, the belief in God, day of worship. So like it breaks down all of the kind of key aspects, I guess, that are fundamental to a religion. Right. So some of the big ones that I noticed, so like there's a lot of similarities here. So for the clergy in the Catholic religion, um, it goes the Pope followed by the cardinals, archbishops, bishops, priests, monks, and deacons, and then women can be nuns. Whereas in the Protestants faith, um, each church is independent and it's headed by pastors, elders, and deacons. So there's a little bit different in um, leadership. In terms of authority of the Pope, obviously Catholics believe in the authority of the Pope and the Protestants do not. Um, and then where it says about, so Catholics follow the teachings of Jesus Christ as transmitted through the Old and New Testament via Rome and the Vatican and the following of Catholicism. Catholics believe that Catholic Church is original and first Christian church, whereas Protestants follow the teachings of Jesus Christ as transmitted through the Old and New Testament. Protestants believe that the Catholic Church stemmed from the original Christian church, but became corrupt. Men cannot add or take away from scripture. So that is like the summary baseline. Gotcha. So it's a lot of those different breakdowns. I just found this little graph that actually broke it down really helpful. Awesome. Yes. And check out our social media post on this as well. I actually talked to, well, he's not a (laughs) Protestant or Catholic pastor, but a pastor in the Christian religion. And he gave me on how he understands the differences between them. Moving along, let's go to nutrition labels. Okay, I'm ready. So in the episode, Dan gave me the choice of either things to watch out for, like sneaky labels, like all natural. Did I want to talk about that or the food pyramid? Obviously, I want to talk about sneaky labels. So that's what we talked about in the episode. So I'm quickly going to review the food pyramid since everyone was denied that knowledge because of me. I haven't heard about the food pyramid in a really long time. Well, and there's probably a reason for that, because, spoiler, we don't use it anymore. Oh, is it debunked? Not debunked, but it's been upgraded. The food pyramid, which, if you're around mine and Amy's age, in your mid-young 30s or older, you probably remember in health class and school learning the food pyramid. So it's basically, and if you don't know what it is, because you're super young and you have this new upgraded thing, you don't have to be super gr- young. It was upgraded in 2011. So like, what, 11 years ago now? We have derailed, Allison. That's okay. Anyways, so the food pyramid, if you don't know what it is, was introduced by the Department of Agriculture, which I had no idea that it was Department of Agriculture. Mm, Me neither. I don't know who, who I thought was putting out the food pyramid. It was the Department of Agriculture, and it came out in 1992. So it's a pretty modern thing if you think about it wow so it really wasn't around that long before they started teaching it right it's so it's a pyramid shape or triangle so at the tip was fats and oils then the next little bit bigger section below that was the dairy and protein and then the next little bit bigger section below that 
was the fruits and veggies, and then the base of the pyramid was the carbohydrates. And the theory and why we're using a pyramid shape is because at the top, you know, the point is little, and we should be consuming less fats and oils, and then as it gets bigger as it goes down, we should be consuming more portions of those. So more dairy and protein, even more fruits and veggies, even more carbohydrates. Like I mentioned, in 2011, it was replaced with something called my food plate. Oh. So picture a dinner plate. Okay. Half the plate is for fruits and vegetables with the vegetable quarter of the plate a little bit bigger than the fruit quarter. So they're not equal quarters of the plate. And then on the other half, the plate is grains and proteins. And half of the grains that you consume should come from whole grains is the recommendation. And then the little graphic has a small circle next to the plate, kind of like where you'd set your cup, which represents dairy. And then oils, they just say, should be consumed in moderation. They're still helping you portion. And I think it makes sense using the representation of a dinner plate. Like, this is how you should build your plate. Which probably makes more sense when you really think about it, because to have like the grains be the base of the period, I mean, it made sense when we were growing up, right? But when you really start to break down what that looks like in a meal, actual, yeah, yeah, like in your meal space, how do you, how do you determine how much of each? So that's, I think, an even better way of breaking it down. Yeah. So there you go. We don't use the food pyramid anymore. We now use the plate representation, which, I mean, it makes sense. I think it's a lot easier visual than a triangle with a bunch of food in it. I like it. All right. Well, moving right along, next we have national parks. National parks. I will tell you, I I thoroughly enjoyed this one. It was very interesting, again, to learn what are the most dangerous national parks. So in keeping in true alley fashion, we went a little dark there at the end, but One of the questions that stood out to me that you guys were discussing is about the Great Smoky Mountain uh, National Park, and it was the highest visited national park. And Dan had made a comment that he was curious if that was because it was in easiest access to the most population. I wasn't able to confirm or deny that statement, so for all we know that Dan is 100% correct. But what I did find, because there was a literal article called, Why is Great Smoky Mountain National Park, the most visited. Oh. <laughs> and they said here, the number one reason the Great Smoky Mountain National Park is so popular is because it is one of the only national parks in the United States that doesn't charge an entrance fee. That is a really good reason. Yeah. Okay. It's a really good reason. And then if you think about its geographic location to Dan's point, it's also very accessible to a lot of different populations. So I'm going to say Dan's right, but I think we're going to also stay with Free fun is good fun. Most of the time, I would agree with that statement. Okay, that could, you're right, fair, maybe too general. But in this instance. Specifically, yeah, in this instance, 100%, yes. So that is my only addition to an otherwise delightful episode. Awesome. So our next episode is McDonald's Coffee. I don't have an update or anything to add about the actual McDonald's case. Dan covered it very thoroughly. The only thing... (laughs) And it's silly that I need to correct is, so this is the first episode where we mention the mysterious Amazon package that I received that contained an adult toy and uh, laundry bags that you would like wash shoes or delicates in. Mm -hmm. In the episode, I called it a phishing scam. I had my types of scams mixed up. So I need to correct 
the type of scam that I was being scammed. So phishing is more associated with email. So example, you might get an email from your whoever provides your email service and it say it's time mm-hmm. to update your password or you know it looks like it's from Amazon or eBay or PayPal or something they're like you need to update your password. Click here and you click on the link and you go to change your password and now the scammers have your login information. So that is from my understanding what a phishing scam is. So it's more of an online trying to steal your information from you. Getting random Amazon packages, and this is according to Amazon, I got this information from their website, is called brushing. So I was part of a brushing scam. I still don't, even after rereading it on Amazon for the second or third time, I don't still really understand how it's a scam. But basically brushing is when someone sends a package to a publicly available address, which makes sense that it was in my maiden name, but at my current address, because mm-hmm. Dana and I couldn't figure out why, because I've never lived at my current address with my maiden name. Right. So on some public somewhere, somebody has my last name wrong, but this address. So someone sends a package to a publicly available address, and that's like the scam. I Like I said, I don't get how they benefit, like the scammer benefits from sending me free merchandise. I mean, I don't really benefit. I mean, the laundry bags might come in handy, but... Well, I wonder too, like, is there, like, can they make a claim that the package was misdelivered and they're getting, like, monetary reimbursement? Yeah. But even then, like, they didn't send you high value. I mean, I, my assumption is the other item is not high value, but I mean. I don't know. Some of those adult then, toys could be kind of pricey, but. I mean, still, but you're not talking like a PlayStation or. Right. Even like a microphone or something. They're they're relatively disposable objects. So Yeah. Yeah, I really don't know. Yeah. So if anyone has any more information, Amazon didn't have a ton on its site. It just had a place where you can report it. But I have never heard back. Amazon has never followed up with me. So I don't even have an update on how I got it besides the fact that it was just this brushing scam thing. Interesting. And also for the next person who gets married in my life and has a bachelor bachelorette party, you know what you're getting. Right. Just laying around. Honestly, I hope it becomes one of those things that people re-gift forever and nobody really knows where this creepy toy came from. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. Moving right along. Black holes. Okay. I don't have anything to add to this. Hands down my favorite episode. And I will tell you why. First of all, did not know Dan was afraid of space until I listened to this episode. I didn't know either. It it made the episode so much more fun. But re-listening to it, right? Because I listened to it the first time you guys put it out. And then re-listening to it, you can hear it in some of his comments. And then I just thought, I'm with you, Dan. How vast and terrifying is all of this? And then you guys got to the spaghettification. Spaghettification? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Great word. 100% behind that. And then I just thought, he's 100% right. If your feet are getting sucked in, you're being spaghettified. But then it's going slower because you're in the black hole. I'm like, I could totally see why Dan doesn't like space. This is terrifying. And then you made a comment about, like, the TV specials that are like, oh, we found Bigfoot. And then really nothing new happens. First of all, your comment was dead on. I watch those and then I'm always like, we're going to learn about mermaids. Not once. Have I learned about mermaids? No. But I was so enthralled because I was like, I still watch those and I know nothing's coming at the end of them. It was such a great episode. I laughed. I cried. I felt for Dan. 
deep in my soul. So that's my summary of that episode. Highly suggest if you're looking for a re-listen to head back to that one. I do like to tease Dan and send him stuff from NASA every once in a while, but he's always a good sport. And he was just like, oh, that's cool. And I was like, Wah, wah. Not the reaction I was looking for. Not the reaction. But knowing Dan, he's probably on to me. So he's probably like, yeah, no, I'm not going to give you anything. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's like, I'm just not going to read anything. Any of the things you send me, he's barely making it through the title of any of that. But I do. I haven't done it in a while, but I do every once in a while I like to tease Dan with some space stuff. Because, yeah, I had no idea about the space sphere before this episode. <laughs> I learned so much. I learned so much from the Black Hole episode just in general. And then also about Dan. Very telling. All right. Next we have Crayola. So I have a few things for Crayola. The first one, Prussia. So Dan and I, Prussia came up because I think it was Prussian blue or Prussian something was the color of a crayon we mentioned in the episode. And we just both kind of generally like, well, we've heard that word, but we don't know what Prussia is. Isn't it the connection of all of the continents? You're thinking of Pangea. Pangea. Patagonia. That's a hiking brand. Pangea. That's what I was thinking of. Patagonia. Anyway, anyway go that. forward. Shout out uh, to Patagonia. Sponsorship welcome. Yes. Oh, yeah. Sponsorship would be very welcome. So Prussia was a German state that originated in 1525 and was dissolved in 1932. In 1871, Germany unified into a single country, minus Austria and Switzerland. At the time, Prussia was the dominant power and considered the legal predecessor of the unified German Reich and now today's Federal Republic of Germany. So it's kind of the stage of Germany becoming what it is today. Nice. I actually remember, I'm not going to claim a lot here considering I just used the word Patagonia. Um <laughs> But I actually feel like I remember that because I can picture kind of the like the breakdown of the map as things started to pull apart. So I think I vaguely remember that. Or we could be talking about Pangea again. Hard to say. We'll never know. You're probably thinking about Pangea, but yeah. Well, that was like the collective of all the things breaking all up. All the continents, yeah. Yeah. No, this is different. I'm, I'm very certain it was about countries, but I don't feel like I can make a confident statement at this point. So we're just, let's go to the next one. All right. My other... Just additional comment and very fun fact was Dan mentioned that Mr. Rogers made Crayola's one billionth. I'm pretty sure it was billionth, not millionth crayon. And I had asked him what color was it? And Dan was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even even look. So it was blue. Just blue? The color was called blue ribbon and it was actually part of a contest. So Crayola produced a limited edition Crayola 96 big box. Each specially marked box included a commemorative blue ribbon crayon. So it was a blue crayon with a white label. And then some crayons were wrapped in foil labels, and that meant you won whatever the prize was. Oh, they really wonked it. Yeah, so it was like Willy Wonka crayons. That's so adorable. Oh, that makes me feel so good about the world that A, Mr. Rogers was involved, and B, we Willy Wonka did. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory did? Whatever, you know what I mean. Yeah. And you can see a picture of the specific color of blue, just a very medium blue-blue. I don't know how else to describe it. On the Mr. Rogers website, there's actually a picture of the crayon he made. That's so cool. Ah, warm fuzzies. Yeah, super fun. All right, let's move on to Halloween. 
Sure, let's go from Mr. Rogers to freaking Halloween. Anyway, I re-listened to this one. It was fine. I was surprised to learn still that, like, witches and all of those are still the most popular costumes, but it makes sense because there's also a lot of variety. Anywho, the one addition I would add to the conversation is um, you guys were talking about that The Exorcist was the first horror movie, I think, to be nominated for an award. Yeah, an Academy Award, said, I think so. Yeah. Did they actually win? Yes, they did. They won two um, Academy Awards for writing and sound. Oh, good for them. So they were nominated for a ton, though. I think you had said ton, and I think that's accurate. And so they did actually win two of those awards that year. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So I just would like you to know that I very quickly Googled this, found the answer, moved way past it, and then Googled a bunch of happy things so that Google does not think that I have any interest in getting things associated with The Exorcist. So this is 100% your fault if I get any scary movie promotions in the next two weeks. Oh, gosh, yeah. I'm just screwing up your algorithms. Yeah. I'm sitting out here looking up murderers and exorcist movies and black holes. I didn't look anything up for black holes. I, that was just me. Bloody Mary. That's what else I was doing. So I hope you're proud of yourself. I didn't even think about that. I am a little bit. Yeah, I am. So you're sending Dan black hole information to wig him out and then you're ruining my algorithms. Here I was getting Keds ads and now I'm going to get Lord knows what. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I am proud of that. So moving along, the next one was Tupperware. And I don't have any corrections or anything to add besides I still love Tupperware. Oh, I do want to add one thing. I just lied to you. Okay. Dan mentioned the pickle thing that he loved that his grandma had. I believe it was his grandma's aunt had it. You know who has one? Oh, me. You have it. You have our mom's olive green pickle thing and i adore it it is honestly the best invention that ever happened it makes eating pickles delightful didn't you try and borrow it from me i i wanted to borrow it from you or i wanted you to send me a picture of it so i could send a picture to dan i will i will still do that i will go take a picture of my pickles happily in it yeah well yeah we'll post a picture on instagram of the tupperware pickle thing that dan loves All right, moving right along, cryptozoology. Okay, so there were a couple really good questions in here that I think I was able to answer. So there was a whole discussion on whether crocodiles existed when dinosaurs also existed, right? Because I think you and Dan were going back and forth about how some of the cryptozoologists, and this is not a dig at them, but hypothetically, wouldn't recognize a crocodile right in front of them because I don't know. It was a good piece, but it was a anyway. Anyway, anyway, we're side. Yeah, they're looking for dinosaurs in the jungle, and I was like, "Aren't crocodiles technically dinosaurs?" Yeah. Thank you, thank you. That was a better summary. I found it very entertaining, so I did look it up. And yes, you are right, Allie. Modern crocodiles and alligators are almost unchanged from their ancient ancestors of the Cretaceous period. I'm gonna hope that's close, but that was about 145 to 66 million years ago. That means that the animals were almost identical to the ones you see today, and those lived alongside the dinosaurs. Whoop, whoop. Got that right. So you were right. Another question that was posed was, was the satanic panic an influence to the chupacabra um, attacks? And I think the timelines are a little bit off on that one. So I feel like you had cited that the chupacabra attacks were in like the late 70s. 
And most people were claiming that the satanic panic period was in the 1980s. So maybe close or at least leading into it. But I couldn't find anything that was pointing directly to it being a heavily influenced time. Right. Um, but it was very interesting question. So I tried to dig into it because I was just like, well, were they like predispositioned to think that something like this was happening? Because you talked about how the one young girl almost directly replicated the monster from the movie. Right. I couldn't find any details. But in theory, it could have at least led to the satanic thing. So that is what I have found for our cryptozoology. Awesome. Those are good follow-ups. Thank you. No problem. I like when you guys ask each other questions because I'm like, I am curious about that. Let's answer it. I've got some good ones for Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, but I think you're next. Yeah. So I'm next. Origins of popular sayings. And the only thing I have is an additional saying for you. So early in the episode, I, I don't know who said it. One of us said, where did we get the saying for all the marbles? So it comes from the 1800s and the game of marbles. When you played the game, the victor gets to keep all the marbles. So when you play the game, you're playing for all the marbles. High stakes, high stakes, I see. Very literal where it comes from, but obviously now means you're playing for keeps, you're playing for everything. So that's where it comes from. Now I wish I would have paid more attention to how to play marbles. I don't know that we ever even played it, I just know we had them. Yeah, I guess we could do a follow-up on our follow-up in the 75th hour. Mm, We'll put a pin in it. We'll see if, if it comes back around. Yeah. All right, moving on, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. Okay, I identified... Five things here, but I was only able to answer three. So question number one, you had told a story about how um, the Girl Scouts creator or leader created essentially privacy screens so that the girls could play basketball without people seeing them. Yes. So I could not confirm or deny that story, but I have to tell you that it really warmed my heart. So I'm choosing to believe that it's 100% true. Awesome. So in terms of the 50th hour, you can count that as a fact. However... You and Dan did say, can boys be in Girl Scouts? And at this point in time, no, they cannot. Oh, okay. Good to know. Which is interesting because since the 1970s, the Boy Scouts do allow women to participate in their activities. But I did find it very interesting, and I feel like it deserves at least to be read. On the Girl Scouts website, they address this. So I'm just going to read a little portion. Okay. So it says, although your daughter likely goes to school with boys and may play Saturday morning sports and share the local playground, the realities of her day-to-day life are anything but the same of those of her male peers. In fact, studies show that in co-ed learning environments, boys receive more praise than girls when they are called on in class, making girls less likely to raise their hands. Furthermore, boys are allowed to problem-solve on their own during class time which fosters independence, whereas teachers tend to step in and help girls, leading girls to question their own abilities. Outside of school, more than 1 in 10 U.S. girls report being catcalled before their 11th birthday, and a whopping 85% report gender-biased street harassment before they've turned 17. Not only does this make girls see their worth in terms of their appearance, but it also makes them more self-conscious and cautious overall when in public. To add to the fact that in the world of tech, advertising, major league sports, politics, finance, and many other fields, they are still considered boys clubs, sending the not-so-subtle signal to girls about which industries or activities are for girls or aren't in a world that is starting to look a whole lot less equal for your daughter. So, they note here that the fact is 99% of your daughter's life is experienced alongside boys, where she either has to fight for attention or dodge the unwanted kind. 
Not only can that get exhausting, but it can lead your daughter to keep her head down and stop seeking attention completely. And when this is her day-to-day norm, it is easy for her to believe dynamics like this are normal and acceptable. So that is why they do not allow boys at the current time to create a safe space for girls where they can embrace one another and work through some of those dynamics that they're seeing in the real world. So although I was shocked by that because I would have thought, if a little boy wants to join Girl Scouts, why not? They're intending to create a space that's very focused on empowering women. So while I think this could be debated further, I think their statement and their statistics and their facts that are backing that are good reason enough to help create a safe environment for girls to be fostered in. So up for debate and commentary, I'm just reading you what I saw on the website. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. And, you know, I understand their reasoning. Yeah, right. So, however, male leaders can volunteer. You can be a male and you can volunteer to support. They do try and regulate how that is performed to make sure that everyone is safe and everything is transparent, but you can volunteer as a male leader. I think it's important to note, and this is something that I was looking into just out of my own curiosity, is the principles that the Girl Scouts are teaching are not anti-male. I don't know how to say that differently, but it is very much female empowerment, believing in yourself, creating independence, being reliant on your skills and your abilities, and not so much warnings of all of those things they listed. I do think that they're using data to prove a point in terms of the need for a safe space, but I do think their focus is definitely more on empowerment of your personal self rather than excluding any populations. But again, I think that can be perceived from a lot of perspectives, and it's a very dynamic space right now. So I also think that that could be modified and evolve over time. Definitely. All right, on to your other things that you had for us. Yes. So my other thing, uh, the other questions that you had asked is, what is the world record for badges? I could not identify that. But the last question that was posed was, has anyone ever gotten all the badges? And yes, I could not identify who, but for the Boy Scouts at least, one individual was able to get 137 which is all of the badges that were offered during his time in the Scouts. Wow, that's awesome. That is awesome. It's typically about 21 specific kinds of badges to become an Eagle Scout. So I think you have to gain 21 specific badges, not like 21 general badges. Um, But that is kind of, there's a baseline qualification for an Eagle Scout level. I was not able to find a similar comparison for Girl Scouts. However, I was able to find each level's badge count So I just opened the senior badge count and there were maybe 60 on the list. Okay. So if you were really to pursue like having every badge of your level, it looks like about the range of 40 to 60 is average. Wow. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. 137 seems like a lot, but they are all ever evolving badges, which I also think is good for the education on both sides of what is the current situation in the world what are you learning? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because like a lot of the computer ones and stuff, obviously, were not around when we were in Girl Scouts because, I mean, computers didn't do much. <laughs> right. I I know computers have always done a lot. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Computer people don't come at me. <laughs> That's okay. We just had a whole... I think this this can be a very touchy area, so I think the computer people is the least of our worries. <laughs> yeah. All right. What else we got? All right. Moving on to closed captions. So I just wanted to look and get an update on AMC's open captions that we talked about in the episode. And I was able to find several 
what I'm assuming are chains of movie theaters that offer open captions. So it looks like AMC, Cinemark, and Regal, those movie chains, all offer open captions. And then if you're someone who's in the Michigan area, Imagine Theaters, I don't know how national that brand is, offer open captions. And then I found a really great website that lists other theaters. You know, some are just independent, privately owned theaters listed by state. And not every state has a theater that offers open captions. But if you want to see if your state does have open captions or audio descriptions, you can go to adp.acb.prg forward slash moviesbystate.html. I will try and post that in our stories so that if you're interested, you can go check that out. But I thought, what a great resource. And I just found this website by Googling theaters that offer open captions. So I'm sure Mm -hmm. you could very easily find it as well. So yeah, that's what I have for closed captions. Nice. That's a good addition. So our next one is actually Secret Societies, but we didn't do this one because I still think I want to do a part two at some point. Yes, I think that would be exciting. We're going to pin this one. So then it goes back to me. Books would be our next one. One of the questions that came up when we talked about the books episode was, what is less than a penny? I mentioned in the episode that people would split the cost of a book and a book would cost a penny. And and I were like, how do you split a penny? Right. So there used to be a half cent, which once I read that sounded really familiar. And I'm like, feel like I've heard that before. So just a fun fact about a half cent. It was the smallest denomination the U.S. ever minted. And it was minted from 1793 to 1857. So you could split the cost of a penny. Interesting. See, now I was picturing like at the gas station now when it's like 325 and then a little nine. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, and a night, then that's yeah. what I was imagining in my head. But that makes more logical sense. Also, I'm excited to share that Dan and I have restarted our book club. <laughs> We're about a book and a half in. Are they scary books? Oh, we take turns picking. So when it's Dan's turn, they're usually not. Yes. Well, I know that you read The Shining because you talked about it in the National Parks episode somehow murder hotel got brought up so because it's close to a national i understand but it seemed unnecessary if i'm being honest with you so we've only been doing it the past couple months i didn't finish the first book i'm going to finish the first book but then dan's such a faster reader than i am so then he started the second book so then i started the second book so he didn't get too ahead of me and as of a couple days ago probably not by the time this airs But I was actually ahead of Dan in the current book that we're reading. So I just want that on permanent record that for once I was beating Dan. And I had a few people who, when we announced on social media that you were going to start joining me for the podcast, they hadn't listened to the book episodes yet. And I got several people who messaged me very concerned that something had happened to Dan and I that you know, we got in a fight or they weren't sure why Dan was leaving the podcast. Sure. Obviously, if you've listened to books, you know that Dan started a family. And I just want to say they're doing well. Dan and his family are doing well. I still talk to him very regularly. Dan and I are fine. They're the absolute sweetest. And just imagine, like, when you started a family, you're really, I mean, you're in the thick of it. 
So more power to them. They are an absolute delight. But yes, there are no hard feelings. Even Dan and I are on good terms. And I came in um, not trying to fill his shoes because uh, after re-listening to all of these, he's hysterical. What an absolute delight. He is. He's one of the funniest people I know. Well, and he's just so thoughtful about his commentary. And here I am calling Patagonia <laughs> things. And Gia. I just I know. I know. That one was intentional. <laughs> anyway, we need to move forward. Move forward. All right. So next, it's uh, me again. <laughs> I like this version. I'm happy to just sit here and listen. <laughs> Tylenol poisoning. One of the questions that came up was... The genetic trait that allows you to smell cyanide, does it allow you to smell any cyanide or is it specifically one type of cyanide? I looked up just the genetic trait of smelling cyanide and it says that hydrogen cyanide is well known as a source of accidental and intentional poisoning, which obviously we learned in the episode. Right. And the gas of that cyanide has a characteristic odor described as bitter almonds but the ability to smell it is inherited as an X-linked recessive trait. So only about one in four of the population can smell it. So it's the particular smell of that gas. Got it. Sour almonds? Bitter almonds. Bitter almonds. I'm not a big almond fan. Uh, I guess it depends. I can't eat too many raw almonds because I have a nut allergy, but if they're roasted, I can have a few usually. Mm. It's not my preferred nut, but... Well, my preferred nuts are all the ones that I can't eat, so... I know. I shouldn't be speaking as someone who can eat nuts freely. You're just so freaking like, oh, I can just have whatever nut I want, just rubbing it right in my face. I think we should retract all of those statements. <laughs> just, just in general, I'd like to pull those back. Anyway, I realized this was not a conversation about nuts, that it was about poison, but it just made me think, like, how would I know what a bitter almond smelled like? And then I got to, like, I don't even really like almonds. You see how we got there. Anyway, what's next? <laughs> next is color theory. Color theory I want to do an additional episode on. So I think I'd like to put a pin on that one. Yes. Yes. And I know you mentioned that in the episode. So then moving on to vodka. And really, I don't have... Any additional comments or corrections? I would like to take a few minutes to expand on the potato conversation, though. Shocking. Who saw that coming? No one thought. How are we getting past the vodka? <laughs> just go. But actually, I'm totally kidding. I just oh, are wanted, you really kidding? Okay. I'm kidding. I just wanted to get you wound up that I was going to keep talking about potatoes. I 100% bought that. I was like, honestly, I could see her coming back and being like, you know, we left out a, a brand of potato. Yeah, well, I'm totally the, just the, kidding about the, the potatoes. The vodka episode was great <laughs> as it was. Yeah. All right. So moving it along. Next is state symbols. I got and I one. Want, I have one too. Okay, you go You first. can go first. Oh, <laughs> You go first. Okay, I'll go. So one of the questions that we had asked was, how many states have milk as their official beverage? Is this what you looked up? No, it's not. Okay, it's 20 states. Wow. So I was very wrong at the beginning of that episode. Close to half. That they weren't shared, although other things are not commonly shared. There are some, apparently, that are wide spread 20 states share milk as their official beverage wow that's so many right 
I was shocked. And I here I was being like, it's got to be like six. Like, there's no way. 20. 20. That's insane. My addition is actually about the Venus flytrap. So we have a listener, and this listener messages me every once in a while, and they actually shared this with me, so I wanted to share it with you guys. The Venus flytrap is native to the Carolinas. Who knew? So it makes sense why it's North Carolina State Carnivorous Carnivorous Plant. plant. Mm -hmm. And then a fun fact that the listener shared with me is that in the game Pokemon Go... There is a Pokemon that is based, like I'm guessing the look of it is based on a Venus flytrap, and you can only catch that Pokemon in North and South Carolina. That's fun. Isn't Probably that super fun? Probably not for fun? people trying to catch them all. Well, I guess you're taking a road trip. I guess so. That's really fun. And I actually think I know, I don't want to venture to say I know the name, but I think I can picture that Pokemon in my head. Yeah, I feel like it's like bright red and it's like kind of topsy turvy, maybe. Although, when I was thinking about this after this listener messaged me, I then was like, Am I have I actually seen what this Pokemon looks like, or am I thinking of the like Venus flytrap looking things in Super Mario Brothers? It's funny that you say that because my second thought was Little Shop of Horrors, where the plant eats the girl. So, I guess there's a spectrum of what we could be imagining right now. Yeah. So you know what? Let's not state that any of those things are right. We'll yeah. just say that the listener shared some really fun facts. I-, I thought it was a super fun fact. And I think it's fun that I've never played the game, but I think it's fun that they have specific special Pokemon in special places. That's cool. That is cool. I think that makes it a lot more fun. So my next one is, again, me. Sorry, I'm just taking over here. It's the longest one I have for the night. Okay, I'm ready. And it's... Alternative schools. Oh, goodness. I'm surprised I didn't really have anything to add to that. I mean, I know there were so many, so go for it. Not going to go into additional alternative schools, but one of the things that you and I had got a discussion on when we talked about the case where the guy only got a couple years. um, Yeah, he only got a few. He got a slap on the wrist for defrauding them like $5 million, $500 million. Yeah, when you and I talked about his name was Sean McManus. And he only got a couple years for the amount of money that he defrauded California. You and I are like, that seems like a pretty light sentence, you know, for right? Mm-hmm. I started digging into white collar crime sentencing and how it works. And what is a typical sentence? And this is from Cornell Law School. So I feel like pretty legit. Mm-hmm. And according to the Federal Bureau of Investigation... White-collar crime is estimated to cost the United States more than $300 billion annually. Wow. Yeah. Although typically the government charges individuals for white-collar crimes, the government has the power to sanction corporations as well for these offenses. The penalties for white-collar offenses include fines, home detention, community confinement, paying the costs of prosecution, forfeitures, restitution, supervised release, and imprisonment. So federal sentencing guidelines suggest longer prison sentence whenever at least one victim has suffered substantial financial harm. So this is where it starts to get really interesting. And please note, I am not a lawyer. This is just me reading the internet. Also, I'd like to shout out to my boys at KU Ewing Law Firm. I don't know if I'm saying that correct. Their law firm website is very informational on white-collar crime. 
So from that website, I gathered that there's this tool put out by the United States Sentencing Commission, and it's a table that compares the level of your offense to your criminal history point. So it must be like, I'm imagining in my head, like, you know, for certain driving offenses, right, you get points on your license. Mm -hmm. The severity of your offense compared to your criminal history points, then it suggests a range of months that you should be imprisoned. And I had no idea something like this existed. It's like a chart for prison? Yes. Yes. Wow. Who knew? I, I'll make one. Okay. Yeah. So white collar crimes usually start out at a level six or seven. So then depending on the dollar amount lost because of your crime, you move to higher levels. So picture down the y-axis, it starts, you know, at the top is level one all the way down to level 43. There's 43 levels. Across the top and along the x-axis is your criminal history points. So you'd, you know, kind of triangulate them together. Yes. White collar crimes, like I just mentioned, you start at level six or seven. And then depending on the dollar amount lost because of your crime, you move to higher levels. Hmm. For example, if the loss is greater than 400 million, you go up by 30. Wow. Okay. So you're jumping like to the bottom of the chart. Your offense also increases depending on the number of people that were victimized by you. Mm -hmm. So 10 or more people, you go up by two levels. 50 or more, you go up four levels. 250 or more, you go up six levels. And you can get this at ussc.gov. It's the sentencing table. You can look it up and it's publicly available. Interesting. That was a good deep dive. Yeah. So then let's talk about our boy, Sean, from the episode. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say it's his first offense, so we're not adding any criminal history points on. And we'll start him at the lowest level of six that he would start at for a white-collar crime like this. So he defrauded California for $400 million, so that jumps him up 28 levels. Now he's at level 33. So that would put him at a recommended sentence of 135 to 168 months, which is about, the on the minimum end of that spectrum, 11.25 years. Okay. And that's assuming we don't jump him up any additional levels because of his victims. Right. I just wasn't sure if in this case, because he was using fraudulent information, if those people counted as victims because no money was actually taken from them, just their information was used. Right. He only got four years. And the minimum, according to the chart, is 11.25. So obviously there's a lot more at play than solely the chart. There's a little wiggle room there. Yeah. And I see, like I said, I am not a lawyer, so I don't understand all the intricacies of sentencing for crime. But I just thought that the pure fact that this table exists was interesting. Yeah, who would have thought we could do it in such a organized fashion? Right? And then I have one more correction for this episode and we'll move on. Okay. We missed a massive, that's what she said. And I think that is my biggest correction <laughs> for this entire episode. After all of that eloquent deep dive, your next comment is we missed a, that's what she said. I believe I'm the one who said, wow, that's a mouthful. And neither of us said that's what she what said. She said. And I am sorry. I apologize to the listeners. We will try and not let this happen again. I will say I think we've more than made up with it on our nut commentary. So. Yeah. Assuming nuts stay in. 
That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That wouldn't be the best end of the episode, but I think there's still one left. Three left. <laughs> oh, I was really hoping to go out on a high nuts note. Anyway, you go. Yeah. All right. So the next one is nail polish. And I just have to point out, I made a very funny or very punny comment and you did not acknowledge it. I apologize. We're missing things left and right. When you were saying the chemical names, I said you nailed it. And it was the nail polish episode. Good job, Al. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that was um, a listener. And I think that that's what she said comment was a listener message. Messages from listeners like, oh, you guys are missing this stuff. We need to be more attentive to how entertaining our commentary is. I just, who knew? And then the only other actual follow-up from the episode I have is, how did you get nail polish off before acetone? And I do not have a satisfying answer because I couldn't find anything on it. I, I googled it as many different ways as I could phrase it. I just kept getting the history of nail polish. Yes. But... I did find out that acetone has been around since 1830. So it's been around a really, really long time. And some, if you prefer a more natural alternative, I did learn that you could use white vinegar or a citrus mixture to help get nail polish off. Interesting. Good to know. So our next episode is Agent 355. Loved that episode. Super fun. I don't have any follow-up or additions because we pretty much just, it was a story, really. Yes. I loved 355. I've actually shared that information with some of my colleagues and things just to talk about it. I don't have any additions. I just genuinely want to apologize to Kanitha for bearing her that name out of the gate, but it was a great episode. Thank you. And then our last one, music licensing. Yay. I think you had one on this, didn't you? I do. Yes. So we were wondering... Specifically about, you know, we brought up like Spotify, right? Or Apple Music, YouTube, like the streaming services. What license do they use? So streaming services have a mechanical license. So that's the type that they use specifically to answer my own question from the episode. Got it. Did you have anything on music licensing? I know those are most recent, so it's super fresh. No, I wanted to do maybe an update on the Taylor Swift thing, but the more I think about it, I think there could be a whole Taylor Swift episode because she's had a couple really cool legal wins, and I think this could fall in that bucket, so I'm going to put a pin in that one. All right. Well, there you go. We have several pins. All right. Well, since this has already been a long episode, I will not drag out the outro. That's a mouthful. That's what she said. (laughs) So do with that what you will. Thanks for joining us and for letting us talk at you. We'll see you next time. If you have any comments, corrections, or suggestions, we love to hear from you. You can email us at 24hourexpert at gmail.com. Spell out all the words. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, our website. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to 24 Hour Expert. Our theme song is Lo-Fi World by Ricky Bambino. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you're notified of future episodes. 